بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على سيد المرسلين وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا إلى يوم الدين أما بعد ما محاسبي he says وقال الحسن رضي الله عنه this is الحسن البصري رضي الله عن the great التابعي and he's considered to be the سيد الزهاد والعباد in his time one of the leaders of the ascetics the worshippers the devotees in his time inna allah ta'ala lam yaj'al lil mu'mini rahatan dun al-jannah indeed allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not placed for a believer any form of rest or comfort before jannah so any kind of true comfort will never come about where you have absolute comfort except when you get to jannah and anybody who understands that it makes everything in this dunya easier the reason is that <clears throat> when you think when anybody thinks that this is my objective this is the everything of my life this is the entire ambition this is all i do this is all i'm going to do there's no life beyond this world then you'll want to make this life as best as possible because why would you want to spoil that one chance that you have to enjoy yourself this is just psychological humans are in terms of human action in terms of how humans behave in terms of how, how humans respond in terms of how humans tolerate in terms of how humans see other things more than half of it is based on perspective more than half of it is based on perspective and the reason is that there will be different things that will come as maybe physical obstacles circumstantial obstacles in front of us a circumstance would demand something various different people will relate to it in different ways react to it in different ways those who have a lot of himma say oh we can take this on those who are very sensitive they'll say oh no i can't do this anymore same thing but you will have experienced this yourself maybe you have less himma maybe you have a lot of himma and somebody you are dealing with had it the other way around and you'd be able to see this oh no let's do it some people would think it's taking a risk others say that's not taking a risk i can deal with this i've done it before so these are just levels of perspective of the psychology and this is once a person has understood this it really makes life very easy because then when you know that psychologies can change when you can abstract it to that level that psychologies can change it's not about that thing it's also about how i look at it then we're able to then the next step then is to just solidify oneself to be less sensitive to be more daring obviously within reason and <clears throat> humans as they grow up they they become more moderate in the sense that they eventually figure it out uh, the human brain the the youth brain uh, it's a the, the brain studies show something very interesting that you know when you become a teenager some aspects of the brains are developing while other parts are not yet developed so while the risk taking aspect in, during the youth develops but in terms of the danger and so on and that aspect uh, a person is still childish in another aspect that's why teenagers take a few more uh, risks than others even though later they realize that it was completely wrong reason is that bo- their, their their brain hasn't caught up in in terms of the development of it and this is this is known and i think that's what the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam must have said that uh, the shabab is a uh, is that stage of junoon in your life where one has to be very careful junoon insanity and thus a person does do a few insane things that they themselves will consider why did i do those things 
That's why during the time of youthfulness, uh, during the time of youth, it's good to have mentors that can guide people like this, that can, uh, that, that can mentor them in terms of their risk-taking, in terms of their ambitions and goals, set them on the right path. So that's how humans are. And generally, when a person becomes around the age of 40, or in our terms around the age of 38, 39, because Islamically, 40 is earlier than in the Gregorian sense. We consider ourselves to be 40, 41 in the Gregorian sense generally because that's what we relate to more. But it actually happens before that. And anybody who's reached that age would have probably had this experience that they just see things in a better light now. They just can figure things out. They seem to be more wise. They know themselves that they're a bit more wise than they were 10 years ago. So we're still developing. Even to the age of 40, we develop. In fact, we'll develop, uh, we'll develop forever. So it's just about saying, look, my final abode is Jannah. That's where I really want to go. And I want the happiness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That doesn't mean I don't enjoy this world. That doesn't mean I don't do the right things in this world. That doesn't mean I don't try in this world. Jannah relates. In fact, it depends on, on this world for us. So if this world is the be-all and end-all of our entire life, then it's a miserable world to be in, to be honest. Because there's no success in this world that you can feel forever. That's why there's the word foes, there is the word najah, and there is the word falah. And they're very different. Foes and najah is to do with this world when you win something. Fuzdu. You know, بِرَبِّ الْكَعْبَ as the Sahabi said, radiyallahu uh, Foes just means to win something, to become a champion. Najah means again to, to succeed. Najah means to succeed. نَجَحْتُ فِي الْإِمْتِحَانِ I succeeded in imtihan. Right? So foes has more of a winning. Najah has more of a passing an exam or succeeding. Uh, falah is different. Falah as explained is قُرْبٌ لَيْسَ بَعْدَهُ بُعْد Right? Um, it's a closeness after which there's no, there's no distance. It's an achievement after which there's no failure. It's a strength after which there's no weakness. Because that is the enduring aspect of the hereafter. In this world, when you have a success, whether you just got married to the person you wanted to get married to and you feel that's a success, that's going to get older. You can't keep reveling in that success for the rest of your life. If you can, alhamdulillah, but you know what I mean. If you get a new car and you really enjoy it, you're smelling the leather, you're smelling, you know, you're driving it and everything, it feels very nice for a while. A new phone feels very nice for a while. But then after that, that gets old. So each success, even if you win an award, an honor, whatever, it gets old. Because the nature of the world is to get old. We get old. The awards we get become old. Everything becomes old. So that's why paradise has to be the place. There's, there's just no other way about it. That's why, uh, look at the perspective of some of, some of our uh, predecessors in their perspective of the hereafter. It says, فَضَحَ الْمَوْتُ الدُّنْيَا That's Hassan Basri, rahmatullahi He says, فَضَحَ الْمَوْتُ الدُّنْيَا Death embarrasses life. Death embarrasses the dunya. You're enjoying the dunya, think of it. You're enjoying the dunya, suddenly death comes upon you. That's an embarrassment. You weren't able to enjoy it. And that's why Ibn Atayullah mentions that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knew this world to be too limited for him to give the quality 
of reward he wanted to give. This world is too limited to be able to handle that quality. And also the quantity, in terms of how long he wants to give you something, this world is too limited for that because death will eventually take over. So that's why he created a totally separate abode made up of totally a different material and perspective and there quantitatively, qualitatively, it will be what he wants to give us. That will be according to the sha'an of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, according to the level that he wants to give us. So Hassan Basri says, فَضَحَ الْمَوْتُ الدُّنْيَا فَلَمْ يَتْرُكْ فِيهَا لِذِي لُبٍ فَرَحًا It doesn't leave in it for anybody with intellect, anybody with insight, anybody with the right perspective, anybody with prudence of thinking about the hereafter. It doesn't leave any source of happiness. When you say happiness, you could get happy. Don't think that people with intellect don't get happy in the world. They do get happy. These are things that you go over. You know, these are things that you experience. But it just means that you know that this is not something I need to be trying to get my perpetual happiness from. There's no way. It's about paradise. It makes it so much easier than not to be greedy. You know, when you've tried your best at something and you've got a job or you've attain something, maybe a house or whatever it is, and you see other friends, other people in your area, other people in the masjid, um, other people in the community, and they have more. There's always going to be somebody who has more, right? There's always going to be somebody who has more, whether a nicer car, nicer house, nicer clothing, nicer whatever, right? Their children may go to a nicer school, a private school that they can pay, right? A nicer madrasa, whatever it is. The end of the day, when you look at all of that, it shouldn't affect you. If you have enough, then it shouldn't affect you. If it's still affecting you, then it's a problem. If you can't walk by those cars that you see that are better than your car and not feel bad about what you have, right? then you're not, we're not there yet. We need more work. If you pass by and you see a house, you're like, wow. Think, I've got my house, alhamdulillah, Allah has given. Now, of course, if you don't have something, you can ask for more if you need, there's a need. But when you have enough, unfortunately, that's a very subjective thing. When do you think you have enough? When do you think you have enough? Again, that's another level that you have to think of. You see how complicated this is? You, once you think, I'm saying, once you think you have enough, then you should never worry about whatever else anybody has beyond you. The problem comes is that we never think we have enough. But that's what we need to, that's to develop the qana'ah and the contentment. That is to develop the tawakkul and reliance on Allah. That is to think about hadith which I quote often that the Prophet ﷺ said that whoever finds himself safe in the morning with his safe in the morning with enough health and safety, safety, health and enough provisions for his day to pass his day, enough food then he should think him that the whole world has been brought to his feet. If you think about it that way it makes life so much easier because the benchmark comes down. Then Taxi drivers, for example, taxi driving is such a job. Not every job that you do allows you overtime and to obsess with your work. You know, if you have to work eight hours, that's all they want you to work. The factory closes, the business closes, the office closes. Some people are going to give you overtime. Right? But in taxis, it's such a job that the more you work, the more you make, the longer you're on the road. And a lot of taxi drivers have this. They work 15 hours a day. They have families. They have 14 hours a day, 15 hours a day. I remember once in the madrasa, there was a student who was having trouble. So he would call his father in. 
And while his father had the concern, he was a religious man, he had the concern, he was a taxi driver. And he hardly saw his children. He hardly saw his children because probably in the morning he's asleep when they wake up to go to school. And in the evening, until they go to sleep, he's out in the road because that's when you make a lot of money. In the evening is the time for taxi drivers. So they are, what are you, you know, what are you doing? Now I know that some people have to do this because there are expenses. But then it's a wholesome approach and it's a wholesome approach. Cut down your expenses, try to suffice with less. I mean, if you are genuinely struggling, then may Allah make it easy for you. But if it's not a genuine struggle for your basics, it's actually just to get a, a copycat lifestyle of somebody else. You've fallen prey to all of the advertisements and the, all the consumption, all the capitalism. Then it's just really sad, isn't it? There's no end to that. There's just no end to that. Alhamdulillah, if you can walk by nice cars, nice suits, nice this, nice that and think, Alhamdulillah, I've got mine. I'm happy with mine. Then you become liberated. You are not a slave of these things anymore. They won't occupy your time. They won't occupy your mind. You don't have to do window shopping anymore. You don't have to keep browsing on your phone on sales. And it's just, it's just, alhamdulillah. When you need something, go and get it. Alhamdulillah. And you see Allah give you mubarakah. So that's what he's saying that uh, the, the dunya doesn't really leave this thing of gaining great satisfaction with the dunya for the people who have intellect because they know their ultimate satisfaction is there. But that doesn't mean that they mustn't be satisfied with this dunya either. They shouldn't be boring people. Uh, Malik ibn Dinar, uh, Malik ibn Dinar was uh, a student of Hassan Basri rahmatullahi uh, He he's well known for this because he obviously took it from his teacher. Malik ibn Dinar is very famous. Rahimahullah. He says, "Ursul muttaqina yawm al The the marriage of the righteous ones is on the day of judgment. What about their marriage of this world? Anybody who looks at this. Anybody who, who reads this from the perspective of uh, criticism, they're going to say, man, these guys are crazy. What about their spouses in this world? What, what's that marriage all about? That's a marriage. You'll be with the same person in the hereafter. So there, there's no, there, we're not talking about anybody else. The hur for men are there, but your wife will be with you in Jannah anyway. And she will be the main person for you. So we're not... Excluding anything here. It's just that that is when you, you know, when you get married, it's a day of probably one of the greatest sources of happiness is when a person gets married, hopefully. Right? When a person gets married, it's probably one of the greatest sources of happiness. The only person it's not for are those people who've been at it for so many years already, or for so many months. In fact, for them, it becomes sometimes a problem. You know why? Because until now, the whole reason why they were excited about their relationship is because of the risk associated with it. The risk associated with it, the flirtation, also the idea or the belief that you can walk away anytime, I don't have a commitment. When you make a commitment through marriage, after that, for a lot of people, it actually gets worse. It doesn't have to, but for a number of people who've shared their experiences, it actually gets worse. Because now they feel bound, they feel obligated they feel that they must play a certain role now. Before, they were both semi-independent, but still having certain benefits. And that's why the barakah just is not there in that. The barakah is not there at all. But regardless, 
just in general, when a person gets married, it's a day of excitement. Everybody. I mean, people go overboard in their excitement, in terms of expression of their excitement. So can you imagine then on the day of judgment, if he's saying that that's when your true marriage will take place? He's saying that's when you truly get excited. So it's more of a metaphor as opposed to you will get married on the day of judgment. You're not going to get married on the day of judgment. You're just going to about survive there, trying to get into Jannah. The whole point there is, I want to get into Jannah. Now, alhamdulillah, if we're going to be VIPs there under the shade, in the lounge, under the throne of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, may Allah make us of those, then alhamdulillah. But that's what the idea is, that that's your entry into a new life, as a new entry in this world to a new life with a new spouse. It's going to be in the hereafter. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not place for the believer any rest, comfort, full rest and comfort in the, uh, uh, before paradise. That's what Hassan Basri rahmatullahi says. Which means avoid, avoid uh, venues of heedlessness. Avoid venues of heedlessness. Now tell me, can we avoid places of heedlessness that make you negligent of Allah? How much more difficult has it become? Before you could probably do that. You just didn't have to go out of your house. If you're in your house, the hadith said, Your house should be big enough for you. Your house should be expensive enough for you. Whatever you need, you should be able to do in your house. You shouldn't have to go outside and thus have to deal with others and maybe fall into some kind of problem or argument or dispute or jealousy or competitiveness or whatever the case is. You should be fine in your house, worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and so on. Now that's become very difficult. You can't even do it in your house anymore. You can communicate with the whole world from your house, from your room, from your bed. You just need to have your phone in your hand. It's become very difficult. It's saying avoid places. This has to be changed to say avoid times, uh, circumstances. Avoid the phone like the plague. Use it, but avoid it. That's, that's the difficulty here. Because it's a huge source of heedlessness, isn't it? A huge source of heedlessness. Massive source of heedlessness. You can entertain yourself to death on your phone. Everything's available. So th- these are the few things he's saying. He's saying, avoid places of heedlessness. Generally, you go there and you're just wasting your time. Now, you could say that sometimes I go to a wedding, it's my brother's wedding, it's my cousin's wedding, and I waste my time there. See, there's places where you have to go. Uh, We have to clarify this, right? Because there's places I feel I'm wasting my time if I'm not doing what I think I'm going to get something out of. So, for example, if I think I can sit on my computer, do some work and make some money, or produce something, write a book or something like that, Clearly, that is going to be more beloved to me than going and attending a wedding where I'm going to just be talking with lots of people, right? And for me, that's not good enough. But that's my perspective. But that's a wrong perspective. Do you understand? Having tying the knots of kinship with your relatives is as important as doing work for the sake of Allah. Because that is how you build stronger families and communities. Otherwise, that's how people break up. That doesn't mean then you, stay, you, you have to spend there the whole day. So you must feel that I must do this for the right reason, otherwise you won't be rewarded for going. If you're going to go just to show your face. These are like places where it's obligatory to go, like a walima for example. 
and other certain da- invitations where it just, you know, as long as it's not happening every day, you know, these weddings where they have that you must go there five days prior, every night you must be there. Those, those are just ridiculous. And anybody who does that in London is actually stupid anyway, because there's no time. They did the, that, in, that came from the villages, and that was fine. You know, people were free. And they found seasons where, you know, you didn't have to go and work in the, fa- uh, in the farms. You know, because of seasonal things, right? They would, they, they would keep it at the right time. But if you're going to bother somebody while they have to go to work in the morning and children have to go to school in the morning, and that's when you're keeping and you, must, you expect them to come and you take on all the burden yourself of having to prepare everything and cook everything and manage everything and you get, expect somebody, what is that? You know, what is that? Okay, maybe do it one day in the week, you know, in a Wednesday or a Tuesday or something. And then after that, let them come to the wedding. Just do a big do on the wedding. You know, if you've got the money to do it and you want to satisfy everybody. Or send food to people's houses. Let them eat there if you really want to feed them. But eventually it gets a burden. And especially in London, nobody's got time anyway. Maybe up north somewhere you could do it. Right? But people don't have time in London. Everybody says that. Everybody says that. You go up north and it's different. You go up north and there'll be somebody to help you or take you around the whole day and whatever. In London, nobody's got the time. You have to just survive here. Subhanallah. So, uh, avoid places of ghafla. Right? Avoid places of ghafla. But don't, as I said, don't read into that so much that you actually avoid even family ties and relationships. They must be done to a certain degree. You know, these are all obligations. وَمَخَاتِلَ الْعَدُو مَخَاتِلَ الْعَدُو is basically... I mean, this, uh, this one is a no-brainer in the sense that this is avoiding places where your enemy is going to, could swindle you. Your enemy could basically deceive you. Right? That, that, that's obvious. You should, you should avoid those things. A person should not be so simplistic and foolish that they get involved in these things. الْهَوَى means attacks by the ego. Attacks of our ego, our lust, our lowly desire to such a degree that it lightens the commitment of haram. That it degrades the status of that which is inviolable by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That a person should not commit. Makes him like, it's okay, you can do it. What's the big deal? Everybody does it. These are different excuses. Like everybody does it. So why shouldn't you do it? Until it pushes you into it. That's what you call tarabatul hawa. The deceptions, the, the attacks. And then, Ya Allah. This word is interesting. Addiction. Intensity. Darawa means shidda. And intensity. So, likewise, when it comes that the, it's the desire is so intense and so strong that there's nothing else that will do it for you. Nothing else that will give you peace. Nothing else that will give you comfort. Nothing else that will give you relief. And that's what it's about. The way to overcome it, you need to combine a few things. Now this is something that many of us actually struggling with. The, the desire to do something, which then causes us to perpetrate sins. So the antidote to that, right, which is... Uh, which I'm sure we would buy for gold and more valuable than gold because this is our struggle. This is our struggle. What you need for this is a number of things. Number one, we need sabr. What kind of sabr? Not the sabr that you um, withstand calamities with. This is the sabr that 
if I don't do this haram, I can restrain myself. The restraint against haram is a sabr. No. Why do you do it? Because you want that pleasure at the end of it. No, I'm going to withhold myself from that pleasure. That's a sabr. So a bit of that sabr against the shahwa, that's not going to be enough though. That's just one ingredient. You need to do sabr. So you need to actively think that this is a sabr. If I don't do it, I get, if, I, if I don't do this thing, that means I'm doing sabr. And if I do sabr, then I'm getting a huge reward from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Number one, I'm getting a huge reward from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Number two, I'm actually building up resistance. Why do people take echinacea? Why do they take a flu jab, right? A flu shot, whatever you want to call it. Why do they take vitamin C? Why do they drink orange juice? They drink, they do all of this stuff because they want to develop their immunity. That hopefully they're not going to then be debilitated by a cold, a flu. The same kind of thing. You need sabr. You need a lot of sabr to think that this is what I'm doing. The more sabr I do, the better I'm going to get against this. The more reward I'm getting. Along with that, that helps is dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You must have a remembrance of Allah regimen. That is what helps the inside heart. The sabr aspect is from the mind. No, this mind over matter. I want to do sabr. Of course, it's got a part of the heart in there as well. But the dhikr strengthens the heart to allow the mind to be in conformance with the heart. So you need those two things. Number three, again, that's not enough. Right? And I'm sure we all know from experience, it's not enough sometimes. You do dhikr, you still sometimes end up. You do dhikr, you do sabr. And number three, And that you're only going to get from reading or listening, which is to think about to ponder over the consequences of obeying the shahwa. What is the consequence of obeying the shahwa? What is the consequence of disobeying the shahwa? Which one is better? For example, if you just think about one hadith that anytime a person doesn't do something that is demanded by shahwa, and at that time he withholds, he withstands it, he makes a dua to Allah, that dua will be accepted. These are just excuses we can use. So, sabr against the shahwa, against the desire, remembrance of Allah, and focus on the harms of continuing in this path. I'm sure everybody, after they've done the act, they feel bad about it. After you've had the huge chocolate cake or cheesecake, you feel bad about it. Right? It was wonderful while it lasted, and you feel miserable afterwards. Okay, if a person does all of this, يَكُونُ ذَلِكَ الْفَوْزُ وَالتَّغَلُّبَ عَلَيْهَا then you will win. Then you will succeed in gaining the upper hand over it. And then, وَيَغْمُرُكَ الرِّدْوَانُ الْعَظِيمُ مِنَ اللَّهِ تَعَالَى The satisfaction, huge satisfaction of Allah will be upon you. You'll feel it. That Allah is satisfied with you. So you start getting these bonuses, these benefits, these incentives after you've tried. If you could get them from before, you would have made life easier. But once you've actually committed fully, then you start seeing the benefits and that helps to... But the initial push must be from ourselves. Your heart will become illuminated. Your soul will just be elevated. You'll just feel much better. And your iman will increase. Your iman will be nurtured and it will be increased. You'll feel much closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that feeling of closeness to Allah, once you feel it, 
then you don't want to be far away again. It's a feeling that is impossible to explain, to describe. Uh, it carries on. The closer you get, the angels will surround you. The angels will always be at your assistance. You won't see them, but they'll be helping you. And وَالتَّشْعُرْ بِنَفَحَاتٍ رُوحَانِيَّةٍ سَمَاوِيَّةٍ لَا تَسْتَوْفِيهَا الْعِبَارَاتِ You will start experiencing these heavenly, spiritual, these heavenly, spiritual vibes and benefits which no words can describe. You will feel close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You will start feeling more content, more happy, more satisfied. Then you can walk by and people could be in indulgence and you say, no, that's not what I want to do. It won't, you, you, you won't have to fall prey to that. وَمَا أَجْمَلَكَ مُنْتَصِرٌ عَلَى الشَّهْوَةِ تَفْرُهُ بِكَ الْمَلَائِكَةِ Subhanallah. That will become a great defense of yours against the shahwa. That now the angels are even satisfied and thus they're assisting you. Now instead of that, if it's the shahwa that, dis- that courts us, that drives us, that drags us, well, however you want to say it, it's, it's what it is. If the shahwa is what leads our life, then tafruhu bika shaitan. And shaitan will be very happy with you. The shayateen will be extremely pleased with you. But then the anger and the wrath of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will be upon you. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for salama. Salama and afiyah. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for safety and for well-being. What the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa said is that Your greatest enemy is your nafs that is between your two sides. You've got your own enemy from within you. Forget having to have others. The other enemies, outside enemies, they just, they essentially just um, use the shahwa within us against us. That's essentially what they do. And uh, huge amounts of research has gone into the capitalist world of how, just look at advertisements. See what it's affecting in you. Like, just, just look at it for a review. Like, you know, what is it affecting within you? What is it trying to say to you? When it says words like, it's pure decadence, let your, let your devil out. What is it saying to you? What is it trying to tell you? So, your greatest enemy is within you. Your re- enemy outside has just to do something with that to, to go against you. And uh, the, the most important part of this is The only reason that your ruh, your, your nafs has become your enemy is because of your obedience to it. You give obedience to it, it will become your enemy. It takes you in the wrong direction. You start hating it and you start going against it and it becomes your friend. It will take you into the right direction. The same nafs. That's what you call your nafsul mutma'inna, nafsul ammara bisu. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to get some control of ourselves. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us the sabr anil ma'siyah that has been mentioned here. May Allah grant us an ability to include dhikr within our lives. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow his ridwan, uh, ridwan to come upon us. Wa akhiru da'wana anil alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.
اللهم أنت السلام ومنك السلام تباركت يا ذا الجلال والإكرام يا ذا الجلال والإكرام يا ذا الجلال والإكرام يا حنان يا منان لا إله إلا أنت سبحانك إنا كنا من الظالمين جزا الله عنا محمد ما هو أهله سبحان الله العلي الأعلى الوهاب اللهم اغفر لنا وارحمنا وعافنا واهدنا وارزقنا اللهم اغفر لنا ولوالدينا ولمشائخنا ولأساتذتنا ولطلابنا ولإخواننا ولأخواتنا ولأزواجنا ولأولادنا ولكل من له حق علينا ولكل من أوصانا بالدعاء اللهم ارحمهم وعافهم وعف عنهم اللهم اغفر لموتان المسلمين الذين شهدونك بالوحدانية وماتوا على ذلك O oh Allah, we ask you for your complete forgiveness. O oh Allah, we ask you for your mercy. O oh Allah, we ask you for your benevolence. O oh Allah, we ask you for your clemency. O oh Allah, we ask you for your blessings. O oh Allah, O oh Allah, we ask that you make our hearts a recipient of these blessings and these bounties from you. O oh Allah, open up our hearts to your mercy. O oh Allah, open up our hearts to your love. O oh Allah, fulfill, fill our hearts with your love. O oh Allah, remove the disobedience that is ingrained within them and that it gets excited with. O oh Allah, make obedience beloved to our hearts. O oh Allah, we ask you for assistance in this regard. We ask you forgiveness from all of those sins that has brought misery in our life, that has brought disquietude in our life, that has turned people against each other, that has taken away the barakah and blessing from our homes. O oh Allah, we are constantly struggling. O oh Allah, we ask you for the ultimate success, the ultimate falah in this world and in the hereafter. O oh Allah, we ask that you make us happy and satisfied with those things that are to your pleasure. And O oh Allah, we ask that you turn us away from those things that are to your displeasure. O oh Allah, this is what proves difficult for many of us. O oh Allah, but we are all your servants and we all are here this morning for this sake to receive from your mercy, to remember you. O oh Allah, we ask you, we thank you first for allowing us to come together like this. O oh Allah, to convene this majlis. But O oh Allah, we also ask you that you now accept it from us. And you make this a source of blessing and barakah and light for us for the coming days and months. O oh Allah, for our life. And O oh Allah, that you, when you take us away from this life, then you take us away with the kalima on our lips. O oh Allah, and you make the stages of all of the hereafter easy for us. O oh Allah, whatever permissible needs that we have, we ask you to assist us and help us and bless us in those things. O oh Allah, if we have difficulties in front of us, remove those difficulties. O oh Allah, if we have started new projects, O oh Allah, we ask that you grant us success and you make them khalisatan li wajhik for your sake only. And bless us in whatever work that we do. O oh Allah, O oh Allah, we ask that you grant us the right intention in what we do that you grant us sincerity in what we do, and, O oh Allah, you make it beneficial and useful. O oh Allah, you help our Muslim brothers and sisters around the world. Remove their oppression from them. O oh Allah, the Muslim world is crying. O oh Allah, we don't have these problems as, 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 as bad as they have it. But, O oh Allah, we have other problems. But we ask you for your assistance for all of us, delivery from our problems for all of us. Make us true Muhammadis, true representatives, true representatives. Protect us, our children, and our progeny until the day of judgment. Make them a source of gladness of our eyes. O oh Allah, we ask that you give us the company of our messenger, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, in the hereafter. Make us true followers of him. 
that he do not turn us away on the day of judgment from the Hawd al Kawthar. O oh Allah, that you grant us his company in the jinn, in the highest levels of Jannat al Firdaus. O oh Allah, we ask that you send your abundant blessings on him. Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifun wa salamun ala al mursaleen wa alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.